welcome to A Day in the Life of a Business Analyst. I'm Sandeep Mysore. In this series, we explore the lives of business analysts, or BAs for short, from across a number of different industries and specializations. We will hear about the tools, techniques, and methodologies that BAs use in their day-to-day work life and get a glimpse into what it is to be a business analyst. So for everyone, Rachel is our own BIS uh, graduate. So she graduated in 2018, if I'm correct, Rachel? Yeah. Yeah. So she's an associate product manager at Atlassian. But I will uh, allow Rachel to give a more uh, accurate introduction. Um, So yeah, Rachel. Um, yeah, so uh, I yeah, graduated in, from information systems. Um, I'm now associate product manager at Atlassian. I started um, October last year. So when I first graduated, I went into a different grad role, um, doing management consulting at McKinsey, um, realized that I didn't love it and that I really wanted to work in product. Um, and so that's why I guess I went back to Atlassian after having done an internship there in my penultimate year. Uh, okay, so what about consulting did you, you didn't like? <laughs> uh, I think there are a lot of things about consulting, probably the top three would have been like the type of work that was involved was um, at a very high level and not so hands-on that I wanted it to be. Um, there was a big lack of work-life balance as is expected going into it. Um, and then there were particular things in terms of like the values within consulting that I didn't align with as much like the level of confidentiality that you had to have, which meant you couldn't share like the interesting things that you were working on with your family and friends, oh, okay. or even your other team members. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah I've never, <laughs> never heard that one before. Yeah, yeah that's that's uh, interesting. Uh, so uh, you know, coming to the uh, your current role, uh, Rachel as associate product manager. So when did you start uh, on this role? Um. October last year, so about seven, eight months ago now. Okay, okay, wonderful, wonderful. So yeah, I mean, um, the, the reason that we are having this Q and A is, uh, you know, to give students a sense of uh, how it is to work um, um, in, in a in a product uh, focused company, in a product oriented company, and also perhaps give them insights into how it is how it is to work in an agile team. So you know how how agile teams are structured. Uh, you know what are the typical ceremonies that you have, and how does Atlassian implement agile? Um, so you know so those are some of the things that we would love to hear from you. And of course, we will also be chatting about uh, watermelon, the tool uh, that you are. Uh, um, evangelizing and also uh, developing so that'll that'll come a little later and of course we would love uh, for you to share some insights uh, with our students about you know how can they you know prepare themselves for a role similar to the one that you are in so yeah, yeah um, so if, you, if we could start with uh, you know uh, understanding how your current team is structured uh, what methodologies do you use um, and how is it different from the pure agile scrum you know um, so it would be would be great to uh, know how things work at Atlassian yeah cool um, so I think in terms of how my team is structured we run quite similar to what you'd expect or what you learn in agile in terms of we run sprints uh, we pull cards into backlogs using Jira um, but I guess the context for me is like um, because Watermelon is a new product team, it means that we are a little bit smaller than like an average team within Atlassian. We're also a little bit more isolated and we don't have like as many dependencies on the other products. So in terms of the way we operate, it gets quite scrappy and like 
um, we operate similar to a startup at times. Right. So we have um, eight members in our team and in terms of how we're structured, um, in Atlassian, every team will have a like a triad and that's made up of a product manager, a designer and an engineering lead. And this triad kind of um, leads the team in terms of delivery and making decisions okay. on like what we build next, what that looks like, how that is um and so the rest of the team is then like our dev team of four um so when we started it was uh quite like super super scrappy i would say we started in trello we didn't even use jira yet um and we basically had like columns with the backlog um in progress and done and that was basically it Um, and then we really quickly got to a level of scale in terms of building our product where we actually realized that um, the super flexible um, general purpose way of Trello wasn't working as well for us anymore Um, so then we decided to shift our whole board to Jira um, which it was really surprising how quick we reached that kind of inflection point Mm -hmm. Um, now that we have moved to Jira it is I guess it's a bit different to the pure agile methodology in a way that, yes, we have sprint plannings on a weekly basis. We do daily stand-ups as well. Um, but the big differences are like we will run sprints as one week instead of two because um, this is a new product. We never know. Like things are always changing. So we don't know what will happen in two weeks that we might have needed to shift for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also don't do things like story pointing or um, holding agile ceremonies like the sprint reviews and the retros just because okay. we're probably not at like a scale that, that needs to do that yet. Oh, okay, okay. So uh, you, you kind of adapt uh, your ceremonies and the way you work as in when the product matures and if there are new requirements, new ceremonies to be had, uh, you'll adapt to that uh, new situation. Yeah. So this is very different from a more structured waterfall approach uh, to uh, development, right? So have you have you ever worked in more structured teams where, uh, you know, development happens in a very linear, sequential, structured approach? I think I've actually most of the time worked within an agile methodology. Okay. The, I guess the, um, the closest I've gotten to more of that waterfall approach is when I did my co-op internship at um, MSD and they were just shifting from like a waterfall towards agile. So they were doing a little bit of a hybrid Mm -hmm. uh, where they had this big Excel spreadsheet and um, they were trying to track things like, like it was a Kanban board. um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it still felt like quite um, a bit of the waterfall methodology was still baked into that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That that is, uh, you know, one question that I get quite commonly from students, right? So do companies, strictly follow you know agile or strictly follow waterfall or is there something in between you know so how how uh, you know how do companies tweak things to suit their context so so what's your take on that rachel so is it possible to be you know uh, purely you know following just purely one methodology or do we have to sort of adapt and change based yeah. on what the context I, I demands. think it depends on the team in terms of like what kind of like lean or what kind of agile methodology variant that you're going to go for. Mm-hmm. Um, but from like my experiences, especially within digital, it seems like most teams are moving towards some kind of agile methodology over waterfall. Like, so, I, yeah, I haven't actually experienced that so much. And um, it does make sense in terms of agile was something that was new coming out like 
years ago and it's now gained momentum in terms of being picked up across like huge organizations as well okay okay and uh, yeah that's uh, interesting to note that you know many organizations are moving uh, you know towards agile Um, from your experience again um, uh, what does it take for an organization is it is is the transition easy for you know to for an organization to make from a a structured from your experience at MSD and also your 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 work at Atlassian what what role does culture play and you know uh, some of the uh, traditions that a a company typically has what what influence does that have on how teams work yeah I think it is a huge change and any kind of migration usually takes like years in terms of getting the culture right, getting people on board and bought into it because they're already so familiar with like the way that they've always done things, mm-hmm. even though it hasn't maybe been like the best way or it's no longer the best way and there's so much more value added in shifting to some kind of new process. Mm-hmm. It's even like what we found um, within Watermelon as a new product, we're trying to introduce some kind of new methodology there. And because people are fixed in their existing processes and tools, um, that's been a bit of a challenge or a blocker for us in time in terms of getting them to see like this is something that is um, going to add so much more value to your uh, previous processes. Um, right. But for them, it's just like there, there is that friction in terms of now we have to change how we do things and everyone has to be on board to do it. Sure. Uh, so I think culture does play like a massive part in, in terms of embracing change. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting like kind of stakeholder buy-in. Okay. Yeah, that, that's something that we uh, we've been trying to understand. You know, how how do you get stakeholders to? How do you understand stakeholders? How do you understand the stakeholder landscape? What makes them take? Who's the more influential stakeholders? You know, how do we involve yeah. them in different stages of projects and so on? That's uh, that's interesting to know. Thanks, uh, Rachel. So you know, coming to your role in the team. So could you uh, tell us a bit about what role? you specifically play in in your team right now yeah um so like i said i'm an associate product manager which basically means um i've come in as part of this grad program in rcm which runs for two years and you go through um two rotations during that and then you kind of go into a product manager role but as um the product manager in like my triad i guess i also work closely with my manager sharif who is the other like I guess product manager who sits in our triad Um, but because he spends half his time on this team and then half time um, being like head of teamwork platform which is a huge platform department in Atlassian it means that I'm primarily responsible for working with the core team day to day to determine like delivery in terms of what we do next Um, we spend a lot of time talking about like what decisions we have to make for our product as well Um, and then in particular for me I'm leading this customer lighthouse program for our new product which is essentially um, around engaging with potential early adopters for watermelon and um, having you know the initial contact with them to get insights about their reporting processes uh, but then also encouraging them to set up on the tool and then like setting up recurring feedback sessions so we can understand how we best build and iterate on um, our product to fit their needs in terms of a product market um, fit kind of a sense um, and then The other kind of major, I guess, projects that I'm leading as the PM in the team is the internal adoption side. So 
again, trying to understand how we actually get Atlassians internally to shift from an existing solution that we've been using in JIRA for status reporting all the way, like 100% cut over to Watermelon, which is a very, um, I guess, a very complex but exciting <laughs> kind of challenge. Absolutely. And, and we will... Uh... You know, come to that uh, in, in a bit and, you know, uh, try to understand how do you get customers to adopt and make that transition to a new way of working. Yeah. Uh, you know, before we do that, Rachel, I uh, would love to know, um, you know, what kind of skills and competencies uh, that is required of a product manager? So what do you need to do well to be a good product manager? Um, and if yeah. you could also touch upon um, maybe some of the things that you learned at uni that's probably helping you now in your current role or some of the things that you wish that you had honed uh, while at uni uh, which would have helped you uh, in your current role yeah I think um, the first kind of like the common misconception about people who want to do product management in a tech company is they think they have to be super technical and they have to be able to code. Um, but a lot of the um, APNs M's within the program have actually come from like different business backgrounds or non-tech backgrounds as well. Um, so I think that's one thing that I would want to really highlight for anyone thinking about going into product management. Um, Infosys is definitely a great degree for this because you, you get both sides of um, the space. So in terms of understanding the business side as well as kind of a high level of the technical side. So you get a good mix of understanding how you then apply technology into business. Um, in terms of skills-wise for product management, I think it goes back to like kind of first principles in terms of the top three most foundational skills that would be helpful would be um, one is probably around knowing how to break down a problem in a structured way um, and really dig into the why and the value of um, of doing something. So rather than taking a customer request at face value, um, for example, if they said like, I want to, I want you to build me a feedback tool or something, you'd want to not just be like, okay, I'm going to build you a feedback tool, but actually have the conversation and understand like, well, what are the use cases you need for this feedback tool? Why do you want it? Is, do you really want a feedback tool or do you want a way to like better communicate specific areas with your teams? Um, so that's one thing. The second is your interpersonal skills are super important. Um, I think like I've, I've always believed that the world is built for extroverts, but I'm an introvert. And so I've had to put a lot of um, effort into building kind of those interpersonal and the communication skills in terms of like building relationships easily with stakeholders as well as customers and then your own team as well. Um, because as a product manager, you are in a lot of meetings all the time and, um, if I guess there's a need to train yourself so it doesn't become too draining and unsustainable for you if um, you are someone who is more of an introvert. And then lastly, um, super important product management is your prioritization and decision-making skills. So um, at the end of the day, you're the one who makes the call in terms of what we are building next. The team does funnel a lot of like their thinking into it, um, but I guess the onus is on you to, to make that decision on what is more important and how do you kind of make the decisions between like cost and benefit of um, doing some one thing over another. Um, I think in addressing the second part of your question uh, in terms of like what was useful at uni for me was um, working on side projects was something that I found quite helpful. Um, 
And it doesn't have to be something like, oh, I have an idea and I'm going to start a business or an e-commerce, something out of it. But just like if you're passionate about something, try to kind of grow or develop that idea further in some way um, and treat it as if it was your product that you were trying to grow. So, for example, for myself, like um, I'm super interested in fashion and beauty. So I started a YouTube channel and I kind of think of like that channel as my own product and like drawing in the analytics and like making those decisions on how I can further like increase my growth on that. Um, I also found case competitions pretty helpful in terms of your presentation, your communication skills, as well as um, really focusing on like problem solving in, in particular in the analysis part of a case competition. Um, and then lastly, like uh, people will always say this, but you know, getting involved in societies is a helpful thing. I think it is a lot of fun as well. Um, but when you are leading and organizing kind of events, there's a heap of teamwork skills and soft skills that you kind of learn from it that are really applicable in any organization. And you get to wear so many different hats across like some kind of event organization in terms of like making sure logistics are right, delegating, um, making sure like your cut, your, speakers are there on time and um, all that event, event management stuff is uh, is super valuable to have as a skill okay wonderful yeah, I think uh, there's some great insights for students who want to yeah, own their PM skills yeah, <laughs> yeah there's quite a bit of work that goes into it I guess um, Rachel you know what, what struck me as interesting was uh, some of the things that you were describing um, the, when, when we think about business analysts similar descriptions and similar skills are also associated with being a business analyst now could you help us you know uh, clarify uh, you know what is the similarity between a product owner and a business analyst or are they different labels but underneath these labels they do very similar kind of work and it de probably depends on the organization so so what's your take on uh, mm. uh, on, on this Rachel yeah I think there are a lot of similarities between the two um, I would even go so far as to say like there are a lot of similarities as well between product management and consulting as well mm -hmm. um, in terms of when you go in in kind of an entry level into some kind of role. They're not expecting you to have this huge amount of experience in that particular field, but they want you to have kind of, you know, the basics down pat in terms of like analysis, problem solving, critical thinking, all that kind of stuff is, is common across like any kind of grad role, I guess. Um, in particular with business analysis and um, product management, I would say the two are super similar, especially for me sitting in an associate product management role. Um, I think that business analysts probably focus more on like the problem side of things and writing the user stories and um, kind of leading the delivery of the team day to day as well. Um, but I do also think that with product management, you maybe get to wear um, some more different hats as well across the business. So you are involved in things like marketing and comms a lot as well, or like analytics in terms of um, defining success metrics for a product. Um, there's a big role in terms of strategy and the vision of the product long-term, um, as well as being a product manager at the end of the day, you're the one who's like kind of putting your foot down and like, I mean, putting a stake in the ground and making the decision that would affect the customer. Yeah, I think that that's probably uh, a key difference uh, between uh, between the two. So they have uh, it, they have uh, a greater stake in the product itself and the success yeah. of the product um, mm. compared to that of a business analyst and have more product decisions to make. Um, yeah. 
Cool. Yeah, that's that's very interesting to know. Um, uh, Rachel, now you know, getting getting into uh, some of the more uh, processual aspects of uh, working in an agile team and working and wearing the hat of a product manager, um, I would love to know um, how you involve customers in the journey of product development uh, from inception to delivery. So we've just covered uh, the first few mod- modules that we've covered in this course. We've uh, you know we've basically been looking at more structured methodologies where the customer does not play a significant role uh, but only probably comes towards the end when it is time to test the product uh, but in yeah. an agile team you know uh, what is the uh, difference you know what, how what are the different roles do customers play and when do you interact with them yeah that's very interesting because i think um in terms of how we work, a customer plays a massive role the whole way through, like, the journey from inception all the way to delivery, especially within kind of our new product framework. We go through four different phases um, when we're in terms of building the product. So we go through um, something called wonder, which is exploring the problem. Then we go through explore, which is validating your solution. Um, and then we'll go into a make phase where we're actually building the product and getting it to market. Um, and then we go to impact where we scale the product out to um, millions of customers, whatever it is. Um, so in each of these phases, the customer has a huge role in terms of we do customer interviews all the time. Like I think when I first joined the product in the first month, I would have done like 40 customer interviews. Wow. Um, yeah, so it is um, – a very, very close contact with the customer, which I do enjoy as well. Um, I, I joined at the beginning of the explore phase. So I know in the wonder phase that the team conducted a lot of interviews with customers in terms of what are the problems that we're solving for? Who are we um, going to target in the end? What are the different roles within our product? As well as um, what kind of insights do we get out of like what's most, um, what will be most valuable for a customer? Um, and then once we got into the explore phase and I was doing the customer interviews, I'm really focusing on like um, ensuring that we're getting product market fit here. So getting a lot of customer feedback on the MVP product that we're building so far and engaging with them for them to tell us like, these are the things that are blockers for me. These are the things that are working super well. Um, trying to then understand from like a UX and also a value proposition perspective, how we can iterate on our product and then like validate the methodology and the process that we're building into it as well. Um, I think when we get to a make phase, the customers are going to be super important in terms of the leading ones using it um, who are using it at scale and actively in terms of serving as like case studies and continuous sources of feedback. Um, and then at an impact phase, of course, like keeping customer value at the forefront, continuing to do those customer feedback sessions and making sure that they always do have a say in our product. Um, I think the caveat to this is that there is this balance that you need to achieve between like customers telling you they want things versus you building the product based on the initial vision that you had as well. So, um, there, there is like this, I guess if you, um, there's this book called Lean Startup. And so it talks about like um, building based on everything the customer wants. That's when it becomes a bit risky because it becomes a feature packed product that um, basically is competing on features, can become super complex. And it might not even be what the customer had wanted mm-hmm. uh, versus being then a little bit more opinionated on some of those things, some of those things and leading kind of methodology and helping like 
businesses or organizations shift the way that they do things to become even more effective with best practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, interesting that you mentioned methodology, Rachel. So how important is following a process in, in, in product development? Uh, you know, what role does following a process, following a methodology play? Hmm. Well, I think, um, you know, our, the four-step methodology that I described is super, super important for us to go through each of those stages. Like, um, in a way, it's it's for us to make sure that we are focusing on the right things first and we've all aligned on, like, the problem first and then we're moving on to the solution fit before we, like, go to market and scale. Mm-hmm. So um, making sure that we, we are doing those things step by step makes um, ensures – like a higher chance of success for the product because yeah. you are nailing the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but at the same time, you know, like when it comes to, even when it comes to an agile methodology approach, there are certain ceremonies or certain things that you want to try to stick to and that have proven to work for teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it depends as well on your organization and like what kind of variant of that agile methodology you're going to use. Like it's not a, you have to do all of these things maybe, but in some cases, it might be just like a pick and choose what works best for your team. Okay, okay. So it all depends on the context, and context is uh, very important in, uh, around these decisions. Great, okay. Um, Rachel, I was also curious about uh, um, what role do other team members, you know, what role do the developers play in you know, making product decisions? So other than the product manager, uh, are there other team members who also make, who get to uh, make product decisions? Um, I think maybe not as much from a product decision front, but because again, like I said, we're a new product team, there's a bit of chaos. Everyone does a bit of everything as well. Um, so particularly in our team, different decisions might fall on different people. So, um, for example, design decisions in the product that goes towards our design manager, tech decisions or like how they want to build it. Um, that's not something in my field. So like I leave that to the engineering manager, um, but then in terms of like product decisions, we do daily, we do sparring. So it's basically just where we get together and like problem solve on something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of kind of um, put down all the elements that might feed into a decision. Um, but at the end of the day, then maybe the onus falls on me as a product manager or my manager if he's in the um, meeting as well to, to make that final call. So it's a team effort in terms of like the thinking streamlining into that decision. Um, but there needs to be like someone at the end of the day who's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to go forward with that. Um, but in terms of then, I guess like macro decisions, yep. so um, smaller technical things, because we have a lot of senior devs on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, we leave a lot of those like, Oh, sorry, there's micro decisions to them. So, like, sure. they don't need to come to us for every single thing. If they think, like, a particular design or something works better in some place on the product, mm-hmm. then they make that call and we just trust them with it. So, um, okay. yeah, decision-making is um, distributed, but also, like, a, at the end falls on one person to make, like, some kind of call. Okay, okay. And, uh, uh, Rachel, if you could describe you know, the culture of the team, the, you know, the atmosphere, uh, you know, how people collaborate with each other. Um, so, yeah, c- could you give us a sense of what it is like to work in your team? You know, the, the cultural yeah. aspects, you know, how people network, how people work with each other and so on. 
Yeah. I think um, it is a super, super open culture. It's very easy to collaborate um, in this team. Even with me, like, it is an interesting position that I'm in because I've come in as a new grad, basically don't have much experience, um, but I'm falling into this, like, leadership section of the team where we're making those decisions in terms of how the product develops. Um, So... I definitely think like the culture itself within the team has been very supportive and it's a safe environment where like you can say anything and it could be stupid. You could ask all the stupid questions, which I always do. Um, and people are just happy to help out and like there's no terms of like, you know, judgment or thinking that you're like, you're, you've come in with um, one year of experience, so you don't know anything. Uh, there's none of that, um, which is awesome. Um I think we we do make sure to, even in this remote environment, kind of keep communicating every day, whether it's through Slack or we just chuck in ad hoc calls to like kind of clarify things and make sure everyone is aligned. I think that is extremely important um, in order to make sure that we are on the same page, we have the same information, and we're making decisions with a shared understanding. Okay, okay. Great. Uh, so, sounds like a, a fun team to be a part of, and I'm sure you're learning a lot uh, every day. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Rachel, so moving on to uh, watermelon, the product, and I, I was also thinking maybe I will ask you about the challenges of leading internal adoption uh, in the context of watermelon. Now that uh, we will discuss the product, so if you could, you know, tell us a bit about how did the idea. Uh, you know, for this product come about. What is this product all about? And uh, yeah, so how are you leading this particular product? Yeah. So um, to give the high level context, Watermelon is a new product around improving status communications within organizations. Um, and like I, I think I mentioned this to you once in terms of our problem statement that we're solving for, yeah. it's how can we reduce friction between networks of teams that are outwardly communicating and consuming status of work? Um, What that looks like is, for example, in an organization, there's always going to be ongoing parallel projects running. And so for each team, how might they then communicate that out to their stakeholders like their management or their dependent teams they're not working with directly day to day um, in terms of here's the overall progress that we're seeing at. We're on track. We're off track. We're at risk. So that is all that we have for you today. Things that we Thank want to celebrate, and we hope um, that you so will join us again really soon. The value that we're trying to bring at this moment, and when we go to market, um, the idea for the product, I guess, came about because we um, we have an internal product called Project Central, which is basically a super hacked up version of Jira that we do status communications on. And so for several years, um, the founders Mike and Scott have both been wanting to kind of productionize this and. Um, make it something for customers to be able to consume and improve their team work within organizations. Um, A couple of years ago as well, Sharif, who's uh, my manager, then went to Atlassian Summit, um, which is a big conference we hold every year um, in Vegas or Europe. And so he showed Project Central to a bunch of the external customers there. And they were all super excited and they were like, this is awesome. How can we use this? How can we buy this now? And so from there, that's when we, the team actually decided to like start making it as an actual product that we could um, sell to customers. Because I guess in a way we, we've done the validation in terms of, you know, the product market fit um, mm-hmm. with customers wanting it in the first place. Okay. Yeah, great. So, so there is a, a huge demand for this product. Um, and yeah. and w- w- at what, what stage is the product uh, now, Rachel? 
We are sitting in the explore phase. So it's um, okay. we're, we're validating the product market fit at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are building an MVP solution um, that customers can actually go in and use and start tracking actual projects already. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're getting feedback from them in terms of how we really nail that product market fit okay. um, and be a product that can go to market. Um, but we've just had uh, a PLT, which is uh, a session with our founders and our exec team mm-hmm. in terms of presenting like our progress so far and pitching to get more funding to move into the make stage of the um, of the process now. Okay. And so we're awaiting a decision, but um, we've also gotten very positive feedback. So we're not, we're feeling pretty confident about it. Oh, wonderful. Um, you know, you, you mentioned something interesting here and, and we did cover this uh, in one of the modules of this course. Um, it's, it's a slight digression, but I, I think it will be a useful digression for, for the students. So you said that you pitched your pro, you, you pitched your project, uh, you know, to senior management. So so how, how are projects sanctioned or how do projects get into, uh, yeah. you, know, you know, the make phase? Uh, how, how, how does budget get allocated to a project uh, within Atlassian? If you could, you know, very briefly describe uh, what the yeah. process is there, that would be great. Yeah. Um, so in Atlassian, they've actually established a new products framework and, um, that's a new, that's a relatively new initiative. So we are one of the first products to go through it. And, um, that's where I mentioned, you know, the explore, uh, the wonder explore, make an impact phases that you'll go through as funding gates. Um, okay. and so they've allocated a specific headcount to, um, this particular initiative. And basically anyone in the organization who has a new idea can pitch it, um, to enter the program, almost like an incubator, I guess. So, um, they'll like work on their idea in their spare time alongside like their regular day job and then they will pitch it to the founders and then the founders might be like okay this is sounds like this product has legs let's um go with it let's give you some like let's give you some time or headcount to work on this um and then so we get time to work on it and then at each phase we need to re kind of re-pitch or like um communicate our progress back to the founders mm-hmm. uh, and then they'll make an additional decision on like, okay, we're going to give you another six months of funding on this to, to keep going or not. Oh, okay. So when you when you say founders, you're referring to Scott and Mike? Yes, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. That, that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, coming back to uh, Watermelon, uh, Rachel, so uh, how are you leading the internal adoption of this product? Uh, are you, uh, you know, are you having conversations with other teams? You know, how, how's that going? Yeah, I think it is, it's something we're just kicking off now. Um, and it is, I've come across a lot of difficulties with it already. Okay. Um, but one of the main things that has been important is getting kind of like a sponsor or a champion um, on board as well to kind of help us lead and who knows the previous tooling already. So um, we've actually got on board um, to help us with the internal adoption. Um, the, the guy who owned Project Central before. And so he has all the knowledge on like, what are the edge cases using there? What are the things that we need to move out? And like, what are the things that can just stay there and people are happy with like leaving uh, behind? And so working with him to get us all on the same page in terms of the needs of the customers has been really important. Um, I've then spoken to like people in the business who have previously done migrations in Atlassian internally on other kinds of products to get their experience and learnings in terms of like pitfalls we could come across or critical success factors 
And um, for me now, like it's just a matter of understanding feature parity wise, where are the gaps sitting? What do we need to build next? And then doing, we, we are wanting to do a kind of big bang um, cut over. So it's going to be quite an interesting process moving like 5,000 people from one tool to another. Um, but we're thinking like maybe we start with a couple of test um, migrations first um, and then do like the big bang and make sure that there is like heaps of comms going out to the rest of the organization on this is happening and this is the value of it. Oh, okay, wonderful. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, we all understand that, you know, managing stakeholders is such a crucial uh, process in all of this. Uh, you know, what kind of tools do you use to, you know, uh, get a sense of who are the key stakeholders? Are there any tools that you use or are these just, you know, conversations that you have uh, with more senior people and understand the landscape of stakeholders? How do you go about this? Yeah, I think it mainly is a, like, get out there and talk to people kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So um, we identified who our stakeholders were um, early on because we know, like, this is such a huge thing that's going to affect Project Central. We're going to have to get this guy into it. Um, and then based on that, he would know, like, other stakeholders that we might need to pull in as approvers or people who need to be, like, on board championing it as well. Um, and then, of course, like, for us, it's been almost a really big proponent to have um, the founders, like Mike and Scott, as um, people pushing it and saying like if we're going to start using watermelon it's going to have to be everyone on it or it's not going to work for us because we're not going to like look into both kind of tools and read updates right. from different tools at the same time right so it, it requires even a bit of a push from the founders to get people going <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah <laughs> Great, great. Uh, uh, thanks, Rachel, for those uh, insights. So, um, yeah, I mean, a cu- couple of last questions before we uh, wrap up. Um, you know, what, uh, you know, how can teams uh, best make use of this product? So, you know, we are trialing this product in our group assignment, as uh, as, as our students know. Um, so how best can they make use of it? Um, and what would you have to say to those teams or those students who are not very comfortable in share or, you know, sharing their status publicly with other teams? So what are the yeah. benefits of, uh, you know, being more open about your progress that you're making and so on? Yeah, I think in this case, like the tool itself is really for transparency and communication across your team and your stakeholders. So in students' case, this might be um, people like your tutors and your lecturers. Um, And then the benefit on the stakeholder side is obviously the visibility into how projects are tracking and whether they need to step in and help teams. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just like within an organisation when you have heaps of teams that are working on a project and need to report back up to someone or across to other teams, it becomes super hard to like centralise your information, make sure you have easy access to any information at the right time. So um, in a way, there are both vertical and horizontal benefits here in terms of how you would use the product. Um, So from a vertical side, I suppose that's from your team up to um, like your tutor or up to your lecturer. And that's in terms of like calling out, um, using status reporting to track your progress, um, make history of it visual and also call out like the outcomes rather than the outputs of what you're working on. So um, in particular, I guess this is where you would want to not spend so much time doing a status report where you're like, hey, these are the list of all the things that our team did over the past week. But you just want to kind of put yourself in the shoes of someone who would be reading these updates. And they're probably reading heaps of other updates at the same time as well. And just be like, 
well, what do they need to know from me? Like, is there something that we should be calling out as a celebration? Is there something um, where we really need help or we have a question for our tutor where um, if we flag our project at risk and kind of call that out and tag them in it, um, that's something they can step in and help us in terms of course correcting. Um, so there's all those kinds of benefits from a writer side. Um, and then as well on a horizontal kind of um, communication side of things, I guess. Um, it's about like communicating and being transparent across different teams on how you are progressing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, in an organisational case, this might be because there are other teams who are dependent on the work that you're doing. Um, but I think in particular with this use case of like student project tracking, there's always this benefit of using it to, one is like collaborate with um, the other teams, not from a side of like, hey, let's all collude and um, copy each other's work. <laughs> Um, so not a content side I wouldn't suggest putting that up there but from a side of like if you have questions and you think that other teams are struggling with the same things maybe they have bits of advice or insights to share to help you out there mm-hmm. and just by collaborating and making sure like that everyone is kind of helping each other in that way that's how like the whole I guess the whole course then like flourishes yep. um, and then the other part of that is like also ensuring that there's transparency so you can kind of see where you, you're tracking relative to everyone else in the course as well and making sure that you are on the right track. Um, and then, you know, if you are if you feel like you're behind or you're not um, at, you know, where the rest of the herd is, I guess, then that might be a case for you to, you know, signal that you might, you might be off track and um, that's when some a tutor or a lecturer could then kind of step in and help you out and make sure that you do sit on the right track again to get to where you need to go. Um, I think from from a comfort side of publishing your your status, it's definitely not something that is natural for people to do, um, especially if like negative like things that are happening in the group are not not going great or like are going off track. Um, But the important thing to remember about this is like when um, you are in an organisation as well later on and you might have been experiencing big issues within your projects, it's not something that you want to hide and think optimistically like, oh, we're going to just fix up and catch up on this later because that problem could then um, grow and snowball. Um, And then when it comes to like that last minute where you have to ship this particular feature or launch something and um, you haven't fixed that problem, it then becomes a much bigger kind of issue Um, as opposed to if you kind of capture you know if you're doing an accurate reflection of your project and capturing issues early on saying you're off track there's no shame in doing that it's actually better for a stakeholder to know because then one it manages their expectations and then secondly it reduces stress for you because now this person knows um, there is a little bit of accountability on them to help you do something about it as well and make sure you're back on the right like course of action yeah, I think uh, that that's uh, that's a great uh, generic, you know, foundational principle to work with. So asking for help when you think you need help and being more transparent and open about uh, some of the blockers that you're facing or even celebrating success, right? So I, I find that yeah. very, uh, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, we should be celebrating more often yeah. <laughs> about, about our successes. Uh, wonderful. Uh, Rachel, uh, I think uh, that is all uh, that I have for you. You've, you've given us uh, your valuable time. So thank you so much for coming here and spending time with us. Yeah, thank you so much as well. 
So that is all that we have for you today. Thank you for listening and we hope that you will join us again soon.